0: Welcome to the Winnow, a podcast about dining in the South and beyond. I'm Robert Moss, the author of Barbecue, the History of an American Institution. And I'm Hannah Raskin, food editor at the Post and Courier. Well, today we're doing the Charleston in the Spotlight edition of the Winnow because we're going to talk about where we, you know, our town here where we record the, the Winnow, Charleston. But recently, Charleston's gotten um, a good bit of attention in the news for a, a number of different things. We'll start off with the Beard Awards because Charleston brought home uh, a, a few prizes uh, uh, f- from, uh, I guess it was actually Chicago. This year, not New York, from uh, from the award ceremony at the James Beard up in Chicago, and then uh, some of those award winners are hitting the road and and expanding beyond uh, the the holy city here. And finally, we'll look at some of the new and perhaps interesting things under the spotlight in Charleston when it comes to dining. So, Hannah, first we'll start with the the Beard Award, the James Beard Foundation Awards, and I think we're all really uh, happy here in Charleston that our, our uh, Almost, almost, it's not quite our hometown uh, barbecue guy, because he's really from Hemingway, South Carolina, but Rodney Scott, who is now a uh, Charleston resident, I guess, because he has opened Rodney Scott Barbecue here, won, of all things, Best Chef Southeast for a barbecue joint.
1: Right. And so there was some question as to whether a pitmaster should win an award for a chef, although this has happened before, obviously. He's not the first, because
0: Aaron Franklin, was it last year or two years ago? It was at least two years ago. Two years ago, took home Best Chef. I was still in south the okay southwest. The southwest. best chef southwest uh, for his barbecue restaurant in uh, in uh, in Austin, Texas. And I think I would I would say that Franklin and and Scott's restaurants are very similar in sort of like um, you don't wait as long at Rodney's, but in terms of like, you know, it's you, you order the counter, it's good old-fashioned barbecue, it, you're not eating off of fine china or anything like that. Certainly not the kind of place that even five, much less 10 years ago would have been up, uh, would have had the, the the cook up for best chef, but uh, indeed the times uh, have changed. Uh, the
1: times have changed. And I think it, some people did distinguish it from the Franklin win just because Aaron Franklin is a white guy yep. and a hipster, <laughs> um, which is a very different background than Rodney comes from. Um, but there, the support obviously was tremendous because he won and it is by popular vote. So um, people love Rodney Scott and you could tell that in the room. Um, I, I should say here that I'm a member of the this committee, the restaurant chef committee. <laughs> so um I am part of all the decision making uh, prior yeah, so to the we won't, popular vote. We'll so, talk about
0: what goes behind, exactly. behind so the scenes. There's <laughs> a lot
1: here that I can't say, but I can say that I was I did get to go to the awards gala. Um and it was really just gratifying um to hear that room just explode for Rodney and for all the other winners that night who represented um, you know, women, people of color. Um it was a, a good night for diversity. Yeah, it, it definitely night was a
0: much more diverse slate of, of winners than, than we've seen in past years, yep. and and that was something that, yeah, certainly got a lot of attention a lot of notice from people yeah. in the room and people yeah. in, in the press and, and elsewhere. Yep. You know, um, I talked to Stephanie Barna uh, here at The Post and Courier right after the the win, and we, we sort of talked a little bit about Rodney's win, and it reminded me of back around 2006, when another Charleston restaurant, I think it was 2006, maybe 2008, uh, when when Robert Staling at the Hominy Grill uh, took home the Best Chef Southeast. And I remember at the time there was a lot of controversy over that because um, Hominy Grill, though it is certainly a sit-down restaurant with with waiters, uh, waiters and waitresses and your table service and, and I think even a cocktail list and all that, it's really not what you would think of as your traditional fine dining restaurant, serves breakfast. In fact, I think breakfast is probably still its most popular meal. Uh, it's all that's meal. left. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they got rid of oh, dinner. they got rid of dinner, but yeah. they still do yep. lunch. But, still do but lunch. But you know, it, it, even at the time, it's like, wh- wh- what chefs ever won an award for making breakfast at that time is really considered Right. I, I was
1: really glad you brought that up because I, I I wouldn't have thought of it. I wasn't in Charleston at the time. And it does make sense that there's certain dishes that you don't associate with a James Beard Award. And I think part of that is that balance between tradition and creativity, you no, I think um, Robert is very candid about you know he learned from certain people who learned from certain people, um, and he's not saying that you know no one's ever had anything this good before. It's just saying you know I'm making this the best way it can be made, which is which is different than you know um, definitely.
0: And that was the time when Southern food was sort of on the rise. You know, it was before Charleston really broke out on the scene like it did, you know, with with, with Sean Brock and Husk and all that. But it was sort of the lead up to it. And I think it was this recognition on the part of the Beard Awards, that, okay, you don't necessarily have to be doing the super white table Fine Dining Service. So, I think we're at another inflection point now. You, if, if it was just Aaron Franklin winning it a couple years ago, that would have been maybe sort of a blip, an uh, you know, aberration. But now, not only did Rodney uh, get Best Chef Southeast, but we had several other pitmasters uh, who are who at least got semifinalist nominations in, in the Southeast and in the, in the Southwest. Um, so... I think now, you know, next year, fair game. Uh, and I'm wondering, fried chicken, burgers, what's next? We may see just about anything.
1: Right, right, right. That's the question. That's what I was talking out with Stephanie when we assigned her the story, which is like exactly that. Like what, what is the next barbecue is my question because I think you're right. I think barbecue now has been totally um, normalized
0: in that sense. Yeah. Obviously, you know, Rodney Scott made a big splash. Were there any other notable winners who yes. sort of don't fit the mold? No.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we have to note that Frank Stipp finally won. Yes. Just because we cover Southern food and dining. So Frank Stitt Islands um, had been up, was it 10 times? Uh, many, many times. Yeah, and he's, yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: And he's one of the, uh, you know, just if you call, talk about the new Southern movement, which really started in the 80s and built in the 90s, he was one of the first ones in the South right. who would do things like put collards on a fine dining menu. And right. And so influential to all the other chefs who followed. Oh, he's so
1: wake. highly regarded and so respected. But there, there is part of the voting process in the beer. Is you can only vote for places where you have eaten. <laughs> and so, because of that, restaurants in New York and LA and San Francisco will always have an advantage over a restaurant mm-hmm. in Birmingham. So, anyways. Well, he brother. got the vote,
0: but Frank Stuart right. got his due.
1: Right. And so, that it takes some years. I think the more, you know, they see people see him showing up as a finalist, like, I need to get there. And finally, enough people got yeah. there.
0: So. Now, I didn't see any outright, um, you know, I think no one seemed to be writing articles or anything saying, you know, we're we're giving pitmasters awards. Where has the, you know, where have all the standards gone? But I think there was some behind the scenes grumbling.
1: There was certainly from the, I think the, you know, the white tablecloth contingent. There was some grumbling. There was also some grumbling here in the Low Country in Savannah because Mashama Bailey at the Gray was up for the award, Um, and so to compare side by side what they do. some emerged from that feeling like, "Well, Shama's is more of the traditional James Beard chef." Uh, interestingly, the owner of the Grey did blog about this, saying um, he, he he agreed they do two different things, yep. and he felt Rodney was totally deserving. So it, it was Mashama's first time up for the award. There's a certain eligibility um, you have to fulfill. So this is her first time, yep. and I'm sure
0: we'll see her I, again. I definitely. I mean, the, the gray has gotten so much just great publicity. Yeah. I think it may just be a fact that not as many people have gotten down to Savannah yet to, to sample it. Yep. And they certainly – if you're – Big into food, in New and you're going to Savannah now this upcoming year. You'll definitely check out the. Gray. Oh, it's so definitely
1: the place to go. And and we should say Gabrielle Hamilton did win that night, and that is um, Mishama's mentor. Um, and she was when I ran into her that night. Um, she was just thrilled for Gabrielle's Gabrielle's win. So
0: okay, so. We'll see. Uh, it, it, I can't wait to see the. It's not so much who wins next year. I'm really curious to see the the semifinalists and finalists nomination slate next year, and just see you know how different it is compared. You know, will we see a lot more people doing I know, not not lower end, but just you know not not fine dining, more traditional regional cooking, that kind of thing. Right. Will we see a lot of meat and three show up, or, or is it going to be you know back to to the folks with the wine list and the cocktail program. Well it should that. be
1: interesting. I mean, for years now, the semifinalist list has been pretty diverse. The problem has been pushing them through to win. And that did happen this year because, you know, everyone got woke. Like it was <laughs> this was the year that, that that people were really paying attention. To that what we have to now hope is that's not a fad and that we don't now revert to the voting patterns that we've seen in the past.
0: So it was good for uh Rodney brought some uh, a little, little tension home for Charleston. Actually, for a while, there was a period where well, it was a period of several years back where it seems like every year Charleston had like five or six, you know, mm-hmm. people in the semifinals, and then so always we had finalists and people winning the awards. And we had this little period where we had a little dry spell and no nobody brought anything back home to Charleston. Right. But uh, so we've broken that, so that's good. And we
1: have, and we can probably take semi credit for Jeremiah uh, Langhorn winning for the Dabney, also well, for eligibility, yeah, because so, yes. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Jeremiah Langhorn for sort uh, of. I, I, was he Chef de Cuisine at, yep. at uh, McCrady's here in Charleston? Yep. Um And then headed up to D.C. and opened a super well, uh, well-regarded, very well-received restaurant and it, I mean, happier. so
1: well-received. He yeah. won as a white man, which was not <laughs> happening that night. That was a really weird win. I don't know what happened there, but, um, yeah.
0: So Charleston, yeah, Charleston or Charleston, uh, we'll, we'll claim him for Charleston even yep. though he's uh, in, in D.C. Yep. Um, so then there was some other interesting news that came out of Charleston here with Rodney Scott and shortly after uh, his his big win up in Chicago, and that is he announced that he's opening yet another bar- Rodney Scott barbecue. Um, this, I guess, would technically be the second Rodney Scott, because the first one is his his family's uh, barbecue. Right. Scott. Different Scott's, name. Yeah, it's not his name. Scott's variety store up in in, up in him anyway, which is still going strong, and everyone should drive up there if they have a chance. Um
1: and do we know? Do we know if the restaurant in Birmingham is going to be an exact replica of the restaurant here in Charleston? I have not heard have not anything along
0: that, the, uh, along those uh, those lines, one yep. way or another. I mean, I would, I can only imagine that they're going to try to um, replicate the cooking style as much as they can. Mm-hmm. Though even here, Rodney had to switch it up uh, for, over the way they do it up yeah. in Hemingway, up in Hemingway. You know, they had a detached pit room with the cinder block pits, and they a big, huge burn barrel out back, right? You know, which is truly this massive burn barrel. Had to modify that here to do it inside the city. He has metal pits here, but they still burn wood down to coals and shovel up on you know underneath the whole hog. So, but the style, the cooking style is very similar, but but there is there are differences. I would imagine, and and, and actually, if you go to another sort of very similar pattern is Rodney Scott it was Sam Jones up in. Um, Aiden, North Carolina, who's third generation uh, pit master at uh, Skylight Inn mm-hmm. in Aiden. Well, he went up the road to nearby Winterville and opened Sam Jones Barbecue. Yep. Very much a similar thing that Ronnie did, which is it's a modern restaurant. It's sort of like at, next to the sort of small kind of area in, yep. in Winterville, up, up near East Carolina University. And... He built a huge pit house with, you know, unlike the old <laughs> rustic one they have down in Aiden, and they have uh, they have beer. I can't remember if they cocktails or not. But they definitely have beer. They have a much broader menu and all that kind of stuff. Sort of like Roddy did here, which he mm-hmm. has beer, which they don't have in, in Hemingway. So I can imagine you'll see a similar thing in in Birmingham, which would be keep the the uh, pit style similar, uh, but probably build a different, a little bit different restaurant around it. Um, What's, I think, interesting is that Rodney's got backing in this is uh, with uh, Nick Pieckis of the Jim and Nick's uh, Barbecue. I guess you can call it Barbecue Empire now. There are over 30 restaurants. He has several other uh, sort of southern regional chains up under his umbrella. But Nick sort of turned into a it, – it's a, it's a curious thing. He's um, – I don't know, is it incubating? He's, mm. he's, he's building small little restaurant chains, working with – Pitmasters like Rodney, but like uh, others as well. Uh, I know he's worked with Pat Martin, mm-hmm. of Pat Martin's Barbecue Joint outside Nashville. And I can't remember, Martin's Barbecue Joint now has six or so locations. And yeah. uh, around uh, uh, Kentucky, there's one in West Virginia, there's a couple in... in, in Tennessee.
1: Well, it's interesting because in some ways now he's become sort of the self-appointed guardian of traditional barbecue styles. Yeah. I mean, if if South Carolina whole hog barbecue is going to have a future, <laughs> he's going to have a say in it. So yeah. I, I I do think it's kind of interesting um, that 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 you know that. He's watching over all this, um, and I think for the good. I mean, I think um, you know the, these restaurants seem to do do really well. And we know here locally. I think um, we feel like Rodney's restaurant is pretty true to what was happening in Hemingway, as much as you oh, can. Oh, definitely. I mean, you
0: know, yeah, it's not like it's not a dumbed down version in any mm-hmm. way of what you what you get up in Hemingway. It's very very similar right. you know, with the with, you know additional things in the menu, but yep. you know like ribs, which they don't, I don't think they serve in, right. in Hemingway. Um, but it is still the old pit cook pulled hog with the same sauce and the. Same same style yep um well i think it's interesting i I did go to uh, pat martin's place in louisville Hmm. uh, not uh, not too long actually a couple times and if you compare it to this is why i think you may be able to sort of see how rodney scott's barbecue will will turn out in birmingham it it's the same idea uh pat built his restaurant in nolensville tennessee outside of nashville around this open pit and it's actually out on the the sort of porch area where where the customers can just gather around it which is almost unheard of to mm. be able to gather around yeah. the pit it's the same concept up in louisville but it's a very different layout um than than the the nashville restaurant again it's in the suburban area it's right next to like all these shopping malls and things like that and there's buffalo wild wings uh-huh. and, you know all your chain restaurants right there on this big six lane strip and it's a huge building and uh, but they did the same idea. They built it around the pit. You, you, As soon as you walk in, you just, like, smoke everywhere. You can yep. just smell it in the air. Um, and you can sit right there, uh, you know, at this little just like a little bar counter around it. If you want to, you can sit right there by the pit and watch the guys working on That's it and, and all that. So they've, they've kept that part really true. And it's really, you know, you know it's old-style West Tennessee whole hog cooking. Mm-hmm. So you're keeping that alive. It's not— some gas cooker or something like right. that, but it is a large format restaurant with probably a lot bigger tickets than you would have gotten at you know one of the old places out in the middle of, of West Tennessee. Definitely a lot larger. Ticket, oh, right. And it's going
1: to be interesting because I would imagine at some point you can be in one city and go to Pat Martin's or go to Rodney Scott. Well, yeah. <laughs> so.
0: it's, it, yes. Very, yes. very soon you'll you'll yep. you'll have that, which is sort of uh, it's a, it's an interesting development because for so long you sort of had this bifurcation in the world of barbecue. You had. The old places, mom and pop, you know, usually family joints that might would cook by the old techniques. And then you had the, the national chains like the Sunnies and the um, – um, oh, Dickies, that's it. Dickies. Yep. That, yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so there's, you know, you got your uh, your your, your Sonny's, which is based in Florida. Then there's Dickie's Barbecue. And these have, and, uh, oh, uh, Famous Dave's, mm-hmm. which is actually out of Minnesota of all places. <laughs> but, you know, they're, what they were is just these national chains that sort of took barbecue all over the place. And they, you know, they are cooking on the, those, you know, combo gas-assist cookers. The barbecue's okay, but it, it's not what anybody would call like the traditional, you know, old-school barbecue or anything like that. But this is different. I mean, right. these are sort of— it's, these are sort of built around a personality like Pat Martin or, or Rodney Scott who really got national attention for the quality of their cooking and the traditional cooking. Um, and then they sort of had some backers come in and now are helping them go move, you know, sort of run one restaurant at a time to a, you know, more of a, a chain approach. So, you of course, the restaurant isn't open yet, but certainly Pat Martin's. You go to Kentucky, you're you're getting genuine West Tennessee style mm-hmm. barbecue. I can only imagine you go to Birmingham, you'll get PD style barbecue yeah. there, whole hog barbecue. It's an interesting take. It's not like this homogenation, the homogenization where we're just getting this one kind of, you know, right. brisket and ribs yep. style. It's it's like a a, a new wrinkle, right.
1: Very interesting.
0: I think it, we talked a while back on our sauce episode about Heinz doing a similar thing, mm-hmm. which is rather than just launching Heinz's mustard-based barbecue sauce or whatever, they they enlisted pitmasters who are well known to and put their name on to bring sort of that blending authenticity with like corporate marketing, right? <laughs> you know, to create an, an interesting new blend. Yeah. So I think that's that is interesting. I don't the um. I think you could see like the Pat Martins and the Rodney Scotts being much more in the the line of the Dreamlands or the or the Gates' barbecue, mm-hmm. where they're you know, they're that smaller. They have a regional identity, but they're starting to get a lot more diverse. They're not are geographically diverse. They're not not necessarily trying to just conquer the Rodney's right. not going He's next got, to I mean, Savannah. It, you know?
1: it, it, we talked earlier about what's the next barbecue? Gus's Fried Chicken has followed an expansion plan. That's yeah, a they start like has. that. They're kind of everywhere. Oh, hot so. chicken. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, no. no, fried chicken.
2: No? Well, no. Oh, oh, yes.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, That'd be interesting. I, I, the problem is I don't know that you have enough talented purveyors of it. Like, I think we've already given the America's Classics Award to princes. Yep. Um, and that is a problem. Is that We've always kind of had this divide that if you're just home cooking, you qualify for America's Classics Award, which doesn't get voted on. And then if you're a chef, you know, you get a chef award. Um, so I don't know who the I don't know who the talent would be that would be associated with hot chicken.
0: I I, th- I would bet not hot chicken because yeah, hot chicken was such a thing, so tied to princes. Yeah. a few other places picked up on it. Great great, big controversy <laughs> of you know all the the white restaurateurs co opting the, the African American right. specialty, but that 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 sort of got started and and, and sort of uh, shot down is not the right word, but sort of quickly wrapped up. You know, mm-hmm. it became very trendy. I think fried chicken in fried general chicken. is probably
2: Fried chicken has legs.
0: I would say
2: that.
0: And and breasts and thighs. But, you know, uh, I I do expect that one because, like, uh, I do have to point out that uh, – just a solid day. Uh, congratulations, Hannah and Emery both. Oh, yeah. Um, got We're no award nominees. yet. A little more spotlight for Charleston, but um, Hannah and Emory got nominated for, is it the AFJ? Which yes. is the uh, Association, Association of Feed Food Journalists. Journalists for Best Online Feature. Is that what it was? Like I think Digital it, it's a interactive, Digital, feature. digital like Interactive that? Feature. Something like that. For the uh, barbecue, I'm not sorry, the Fried Chicken Tour Map that uh, you guys put together a little while back. We did a whole... Winnow episode on it as well. Ate a bunch of fried chicken with wine pairings. Um, but that that project got has gotten nominated, so we'll say best of luck in the finals as you as you come up. So, hey, fried chicken, it, it could be next. Yep. So speaking of spotlights uh, here here in Charleston, Hannah, I know that this is – when you mentioned this to me, I was surprised. Because I do remember back at um, – during the Wine and Food Festival, there was a, a new – I think it was, yeah, it was a brand-new event this year that was a big hit, the, the Drag Brunch. Yep. Um, Officially called – Queens on King. Queens on King. What restaurant was Was it at a restaurant well, or was it it's so funny space? you should ask.
1: Uh, it was at the Patrick properties uh, of oh, William okay. Aiken House.
0: Yes. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yep.
1: Yeah, which was in the news just
0: days just prior. Days after, actually, yes. before.
1: I, it, it Just days before it, the story had come out about what yeah. Randall Goldman had done at the William Aiken House.
0: Okay. Allegedly, Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. Allegedly the, but the, the news broke. And so, yes. interesting, I was swirling around at the same time, yep. but the Drag Brunch was apparently a big hit, An enormous <laughs> hit. It
1: was one of the first events to sell out. Um, the executive director of the festival says it's one of the events she's most proud to have produced in her entire career. <laughs> um, it was amazing. I was there and they brought in, um, it was a, a mixed group of performers from here and from Atlanta, from uh, Lips is a club there. Um, and so I think it was six queens and two stages and just, I mean, hundreds of happy people. (laughs) I mean, they loved it. And it was really very much what looks like the traditional festival crowd. Older.
0: Oh, I was going to say, so it was not like the young. No. No. I mean, there were
1: some young people, and I'm sure that's part of why they enjoyed doing this event is it probably drew some of those people. But for the most part, you know, older guys in seersucker suits (laughs)
0: Your traditional f- f- food festival crowd, completely. Right, yeah. Yep. So it's sort of like it's two stages either end. So doing the drag show while you're eating your yes, your brunch. And correct.
1: That. Yep. Yep. So they were kind of sashing from one stage to the other, and so I, I mean I don't know how much of that food got eaten because people <laughs> loved it, and so it was really interesting to me. Again, I spoke earlier about you know there had been sexual harassment allegations at that very site because there the allegations concerned the unwanted touching of women. Okay. And here we were with men just sticking their hands all over women. But of course that was the way the event was structured. And so it was funny as I wrote my story and, um the, the general manager at Lips who was put in charge of this show has told the ladies beforehand, he said, you know, don't um, don't expect them to be, like, throwing dollar bills. I don't think anyone here knows anything about drag or how to drag. <laughs> there were dollar bills That's everywhere. Dollar everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone knew how, how it worked. So so huge success. So in the wake of this success, suddenly it's become the thing to do. We're in Charleston Dining, everyone's looking for a way to distinguish themselves and
0: draw more crowds. Well, I remember for a while it was like the jazz brunch or something like that where you'd have a nice right. jazz combo over in the corner yep. and champagne mimosas and very sophisticated. Well, <laughs>
1: it's interesting you draw this comparison because there are detractors to the idea of drag brunch. Um, because it now has been taken out of gay spaces, and so what it is often compared to more um, frequently is the gospel brunch, um, where you have taken a particular cultural form that has political significance and completely ripped it out of context for people's entertainment. I'm trying to give you both sides <laughs> of the story here. I don't even know how I feel about it, to be honest. No. Um, I am somewhat, I am somewhat troubled by it. That's why I wrote the story. Um, because I, ah, boy, I mean, I think it's fantastic mm-hmm. that you know Charleston has embraced this. Obviously, it, this is more diversity than we would have seen five or ten years ago. But the question is, how are they embracing it, and why? Yep. And we, we, since we don't know the answer. I don't really know how I feel about this, but you can go now. Edmunds Brewing Company is doing um, a regular Sunday drag brunch. Um, there are other restaurants, too, that have experimented with it since on a more like temporary or one time basis. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm seeing more and more press releases about come eat amongst yeah. drag queens.
0: Well, so that's what interesting to go back to the, the gospel brunch, which mm-hmm. is one that I always I, I even said jazz brunch, because I, I don't feel like there's any real controversy about having like a quartet playing a nice soft jazz while that's just nice music in the background. But Gospel Brunch is really mixing church with, particularly if it's on a Sunday, going out and, you know, drinking booze, which are things that most uh, churches where you find Gospel music would not really condone. uh, Right. You know, sipping... Uh, Screwdrivers and Bloody Marys. Exactly,
1: and so that's. I think that's the similarity. Is is to perform in drag is supposed to be transgressive. It's it's not supposed to just fade into the background. That's the opposite of what drag is. Um, So that to me, that's part of the concern. It's just. Turn it into something else. And so the concern is that these drag queens become more of a spectacle. They say, become is more it, like you know, clowns. If, if,
0: yes. It's, it's something, to, is it something that you engage with and you're a part of and it's like a community thing where, where you're building community. Or is it more like, oh, here's a community looking at performers who are sort of different and weird. And you know, therefore it, it's it, – you know, like you say, it's not a transgressive act. It becomes sort of a – I don't know what's the right word, but – um,
1: well, I'll tell you what it's become. It's become a big bachelorette party destination. Ah. This is really interesting. So <laughs> it's not just Charleston that this is it, where this is happening. Um, Charlotte just got its first uh, all drag brunch restaurant. Um, they're mm-hmm. all over Nashville because they they beat us for bachelorette parties in Nashville. Um, and that is I mean, I spoke to a man who started up gay. Um, he was a gay restaurant or club. Anyways, he started Drag Queen Brunches. This is in D.C., maybe uh, 20, 30 years ago. Anyways, primarily a gay clientele is what I started to say. Now he says he can't get um, anyone in there
0: but bachelorettes. All he sees are straight white women. So <laughs> And, and I, I haven't even been to one. What, what type of music? Are they doing like the old They're doing their, music from the, you know, you the see, 70s kind of? Oh, no. Ballads it's, or it's, they do more modern hip-hop. stuff. and uh, yeah. So it's, it's much more modern it's music. It's very and modern.
1: Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so it's been embraced by bachelorettes. So I interviewed a, a professor of, I believe it's gender studies at Oregon State. Um, and she had written a piece about going to one of these clubs. This, in fact, was a gay club first in Portland. Um, had a drag queen tradition. And so she went to a show there recently with her partner and they were the only people who weren't bachelorettes. And her partner turned to her and said, "Like, oh, do you think we could hold hands here?" Now that's kind of crazy. That in their own space, they felt like they couldn't express themselves, right? It's so I, I don't know. I don't know what to. I don't know what to make of it.
0: Yeah. Well, when you're all the bachelorette parties, and nothing is bachelorette parties, just as a general thing, but that now means these are usually in these days weddings and. There, it's all in bachelorette parties it's all destination things you're hopping on a plane you're flying somewhere you're not just going out on the town wherever you live and you know and, and you're having a bunch of drinks you're you're making a whole weekend or week out of it so now you're getting into the same mode of like you know all, all the charleston with the hotels popping up everywhere and like all these people flying in from somewhere else in order to oh let's sort of experience this culture here and then we'll fly back to wherever we came from and So, yeah, now that you mentioned that, I hadn't thought about that, the bachelorette potentially being an angle for it. I was thinking it's more just people – going out for Sunday brunch. I thought this might be something fun.
1: Well, that and I mean, I think that's how it's happening here locally for the most part. But, you know, should we see a dedicated drag restaurant? And there are chains and they are growing, particularly in the South. Um, You know, other than speaking to this restaurateur in D.C., I'm still not entirely clear on how, I mean, I know why he brought in drag queens. He thought they were fun. But I I still don't really get why you need a mimosa while you watch a drag queen. (laughs) Like, I don't know why the two things, I don't know how this has become a component of dining to begin with, but it's certainly Appeals to bachelorettes, um, and yes, there is the argument that they are feeling empowered as women, and that these drag queens are, you know, displaying a certain type of femininity that they, you know, that they find again empowering or, or strong, which is great. Then again, they're also <laughs> displaying a certain type of, of, of you know, of being gay, which. It can be problematic. I mean, you want people to do whatever they want to be. But the concern is, is if this is the most visible manifestation of, you know, of gayness in Charleston, that is not the entirety of the gay experience or even close. So... Who knows? It reminds me of a.
2: I mean, it's been a long, like, ongoing issue with like the politics of straight people going to gay bars. Yes, and it's always been like an acute issue here in Charleston because we really only have like one. I mean, well, if if you broaden out to the broader metro, there there are a few more. But downtown, there's really historically been two places. Now there's really we're down to just Dunlees. Yep. And so like the whole point, right, of of a gay bar is that you're supposed to be able to go there as a gay person and it's your space and you're safe there and and, like you can hit on people, you can ask people out and and people will get offended. Exactly. If you go to a a gay bar and it's now half straight, that's no longer the case. It's no longer your space. And, and even if the people there are completely respectful and they're not like homophobic or anything, that it still has taken that space away from you, you exactly.
1: Know? And this has been really damaging to us, particularly lesbian bars. Like right. there are just it, it's hard to find a lesbian bar. I know we I wrote about this on the west coast. And so great, I guess, that you don't need to have that space, like from an actual yeah. like physical safety yeah, uh, right. standpoint. That's awesome. But, Boy, you lose something in your community, I think. So, right, right,
2: exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's, and, I mean, yeah, and like, I think straight people don't think about that, but you can go to any bar. Right, right, right. And, and right. You're fine. Like, you can go up and then just talk to people and assume that everybody else is straight. Exactly. This is like the one place where you can actually assume other people are gay. Exactly. You know, and right. you just, yeah, so it's complicated.
1: <laughs> it's really complicated. I mean, and then adding in the part two, I spoke to some of the drag queens in Charleston, and they said exactly what you said. There's only Dudleys. They have one tryout a year to be part of their drag shows. So they're like, we want to perform and we want to get paid for it. So, all right, great. Now that is a good thing. You're creating more financial opportunities for young up and coming drag
2: queens. That part's cool. Boy, I don't yeah, know. Well, maybe a- that is. Maybe that is a benefit though, because if it if it does take. Like if people want to just experience that, they want to, like, for example, Dudley's does have weekly drag shows and like, yep. that's a big thing. A lot of people like to go to that. Mm-hmm. So if you take that and turn it into a brunch, maybe people can get that experience there. And then maybe, you know, traditionally gay play, like gay venues, yep. gay spaces can remain.
1: Right. Right. That's another way of looking at maybe that's what happens. Okay. I don't know, but it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I, this is this is going to be with us for a while. Partly uh, thanks to RuPaul has just made. I mean, and that that really paved. I mean, that is what that festival event never would have sold out if not for RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. I
0: mean. All right, well, so that's Charleston in the spotlight in, in more ways than one. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least we have lots to talk about here locally. We were, you know, we were concerned a few years ago maybe the scene was was sort of fading, but no, Those I think uh, seem to be it's roaring back uh, as strong as ever.
1: All right, and that is all for this edition of The Winnow. We recorded today's episode in the Very Spotlight <laughs> <laughs> podcasting studios at the Post and Courier building in downtown Charleston, South Carolina. If you enjoy listening to The Winnow, please help other listeners find us too. Just go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcast and like us or leave a rating. The Winnow is a production of the Post and Courier and Palmetto New Media. Our producer today was the... Award-nominated, Jay Emery Parker. Our theme music... Next time, hopefully, we'll say award-winning, <laughs> but we'll find out. Our theme music is by the Bluestone Ramblers.
0: Until next time, I'm Robert Moss. And I'm Hannah Raskin. Now get out there and eat.